our hearts as we open our Bible. Thank you, Pastor Johnson. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It's great to be with you this evening. You may be seated. What a joy it is to be in the presence of the Lord with this great church family. Thoroughly enjoyed the worship session, all of the music and the singing. And to be here with all of the Johnson family that is not just leading in the word, but obviously leading in worship. And from the keyboard to the pulpit and the, and the leading of singing, Brother and Sister Johnson and your family, I commend you, compliment you, and I'm grateful to the Lord that God has given to Natchez, Mississippi, a wonderful, wonderful family that has the kingdom at heart. Amen. I am so grateful for the invitation to come and be with you this evening. I was in uh, a summit service, and I don't know if it was the second night or third night, but I walked up to Brother Johnson standing as, as service was in progress, and I told him, I said, Brother Johnson, I want you to come preach for me really soon. And I gave him just a little bit of family background. And I said, just uh, as soon as you can, I want you to come. Well, he's beat me to the draw here and called and said, I want you to be with me. I'm very pleased to be with you on this Wednesday evening. I really am. But that, of course, necessitates that your dear pastor be lent for at least a service and that he can come give his uh, word and his voice in our congregation there in Lake Charles. I'm um, remembering the last time that I was here in this, in this church family. I think it was the Conqueror's Quartet. And I don't know how many years ago it was, but we had a great time. I remembered that. We all enjoyed being with you. I hope that you enjoyed that group being here as much as we enjoyed being with you. And that's for real. We were having a big time that week. God bless you. And Brother Hush, my first time to meet you, I think, for I know where Ball, Louisiana is. I certainly do. And um, the Hush family is long-standing close-hearted people and let me just say it that way with the Treese family Elder L.J. Hush which was back in the um, 19, 1930s, 40s was my father's pastor in North Central Texas and of course his younger brother uh, pastor in Waco and then of course uh, the daughters of the L.J. Hush family, very close to us. His grandchildren today are in our congregation in Lake Charles. So to be introduced to you in this service, to hear you sing, to know that you're doing a good work in Ball, Louisiana, it's my appreciation uh, that God has placed you where you are and to make your acquaintance this evening. God bless you. Amen. 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 To be with this church family, uh, I said is a privilege, and it truly is. How many times have I, um, in past years, driven 
passed this building and said, thank God for an iconic church family and building right here on a main pathway in this state. And uh, whether you know it or not, people know where you are. They really do. I know you know that, of course that. But just, you need to hear those words from an outsider. It's confirming. And uh, thank God for the man of vision that you have with you that you call pastor. And uh, a friend for, well, I don't know how many years. I guess we've been in fellowship now for... Uh, many years, but the farther we go down this path of fellowship towards our final destination, we all somehow get closer, as, as rightfully uh, so it should be. And your pastor and family, they are not here by mistake, as you well know, but God appoints a man and his family at a place, a particular place for a particular hour, for a particular purpose. I've watched this family stand strong. I've watched this man of God stand strong and square for truth, at the same time filled with love for people, a person who loves truth and loves and underline that word. And there's a great, great distinction in that. A man who is capable in preaching this word, and this message of one God, and his reputation among his, we call it peers, I don't really love that word, maybe contemporaries is, is a better word, a man of good report, which is necessary according to the epistles, and the word of success and excelling is, is what I bring. I know that you appreciate your pastor, but it's good for you to hear someone that comes to you from the outside and say that your man of God and his wife, your family, is respected in the kingdom of God and carries this forward. God bless them. God bless them. Preaching in 2019, pastoring 2019, let me tell you, is no easy chore. I leaned over and I asked him how many years he's been here as pastor. And he said 17 years. 17 years in the same spot. Leading forth, having the victories of God unfold is unheard of in the denominal world. 17 years, you just don't hear of that. What a treasure that is that you can have confidence in a man and his family. And you can follow them and know that you're totally safe. If there's anybody you ought to be good friends with, it's the man of God that's going to present you someday before God. And true it is. True it is. Brother Sister Johnson, uh, know that you're appreciated. Thank you for being my friend, and thank you for the invitation to come and be with you this evening. It is my delight. And there is a request that we, that we open the word to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I am here on a special duty this evening. It's something that I really enjoy. The Word of God is my, is my love, and I know it is yours. If you'll stand together, please. Let's turn to the book of Corinthians, chapter 11. I'll read a number of verses. 
and then we'll we'll consider these in a pace that it can be digested and assimilated I am um, I'm thinking of the the effort the brave effort of this man a crucial time that a number of us came through some years ago without me describing the details you know what's happening in your own local situation and the position that you're taking but you don't know the exact details of everything that's happening to those men that are standing shoulder to shoulder with you I just look across those lines of men and Pastor Jim Johnson being one of them and I thank God for his courage and for his strength and for his bravery and for his love for truth at any cost. Brother Johnson, just know that, know that you're appreciated. I don't know if it's your background. I don't know what's in your DNA that makes you just want to stand straight for what's right. But I want you to know I love you. Amen. All right, I know that you're standing, so am I. You'll be seated in just a bit. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. And that is, if you will, and more literal translation the traditions and I will certainly spend time talking about traditions keep or hold fast hold fast hold down is the preceding uh, portion of this word having a force of holding it down meaning sure hold for sure the traditions as I have delivered them unto you. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking unto the church at Corinth. But I would have you to know. I would wish, fellow, I would wish you to know that the head of every man is Christos, which is the Messiah. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his surname. Christos means the anointed it's the same thing as saying the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. The head of every man is the Messiah, Christos. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of the Messiah is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman that prays or prophesies, notice that, that a woman in the first church, early in the first century, it is written and recorded, that a woman prayed. But what he did denounce was this, that they circumvented the traditions of God for the traditions of men, such as in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. And he gave a very, very colorful illustration of what he meant of trading the traditions of God, God's law, 
for man's law. There are some things that we cannot sidestep. There are some things we cannot supplant and say, well, the church has moved into another culture. What Paul was writing here was not cultural. Let that be answered. You've got modern day theologians or so-called theologians that try to say that this chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians is a cultural issue. Not so. Because you have got, if you will, the essence of God's wish for the order throughout mankind's history from the very beginning. And it is to be maintained all the way through to the end. There is a distinction in his beloved creation that he himself ordained and made all the way back at the beginning of Genesis. That distinction of the man and the woman, when they were created, how they were created, and for the purpose that they were created is all involved in this, and that's not up for a cultural debate. When we pray or we prophesy, when we are doing service unto the Lord, it matters how we present ourselves if we're to be acceptable in our relationship before God. All right. So for those of you that would want to out in the world call it Phariseeism, make sure that you know what Phariseeism is. And I will tell you, I will switch that word back on the emerging church today. If, and it is, a circumventing of God's laws for man's traditions, that is what Phariseeism is, then I must call what is happening in the modern day emerging church world. And anything goes just so that you love God in your heart. I am scripturally correct to call that and label that Phariseeism because you're removing what God asked for from the beginning and supplanting what is convenient for yourself. That is true Phariseeism according to what the Lord described in Matthew 15. So Paul said, I want you to hold fast, hold it down. How do you do that? You preach it. You teach it. You live it. Thank God for a church that doesn't just have it somewhere in the background as a memory. But thank God for real, current, apostolic doctrine and the presentation of a relationship with God that is godly. Amen. Hold fast, hold down the traditions that I've delivered unto you. Now here is the order. There is an order. The first movement of chapter 11 is this. And here it is, here it is described beginning in verse 3. But I would have you to know that the head, all of this is about the head. You say, what, uh, what significance is that? Is that literal or is that symbolic? It is both. In apostolic, in apostolic and Pentecostal circles for years, I have read efforts by different ones of them explaining, trying to explain chapter 11. 
and some of them trying to minimize the importance. It is not just a matter of the head physical, which it certainly is. You have both, you have both circles involved, the matter of the physical head, and then you have got the word head, kafale, which is the place of authority. It is, it is the order of authority beginning with God and coming down through that fleshly man that was created. God himself walking among men. And then you have got man and then you have got woman all in that order. And it must remain in that order and it must, it must reflect a distinction great enough. Unisex is not in this Bible. Their privileges, their rights, according to Paul, that we all, Jew and, Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, male and female, we all have the same right standing before God. But our presentation and our relationship with God is not based on a whatever you want to do unisex presentation. There is a particular way that man is to honor his head. And if that is not conducted properly, then it is an extreme dishonoring of our head. And who is our head? Verse 3, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So the head of man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So I give you the train of order. You have got the invisible God of the Old Testament who was a consuming spirit, as John said, who became visible flesh. And that visible flesh, if you will, was always saying, I, I, am, I am manifesting your name. I am here to do thy will, O God. My Father is greater than I. You have got the flesh honoring the Spirit. There is an order. And if Christ as a man honored, if you will, the flesh, honored the Spirit, then who are we to get out of place? If Christ is, is our example here on the earth, then who are we to just choose wherever we want to get? So you've got God. You have got the created visible portion of God, the Christ. Then you've got next in line of creation, you have got the man. And then next in creation line and process, you have got the woman. So verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying, Having his head covered. Every man praying or prophesying. Praying or prophesying. Having the right to do that in an orderly, and I'll talk about that, fashion. There is place for it. A woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. Dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. 
But if it be a shame, and this is a condition of the first class, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, then here is the remedy. Let her be covered. For if a man indeed, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is. And the reading is ex, which means out of, out of the man. You may be seated. Instead of having you read with me down through verse 16, I just simply have given enough introductory reading that you catch the gist of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And by the help of God this evening, I would like to bring to you this subject Divine order, divine order. What a tremendous unveiling of truth it is, a timely unveiling of truth. And I use this word not as a pun because that word is certainly included in Scripture. But the uncovering of what is necessary in the Word of God. And divine order is not up for debate. What I, am, what I am giving this evening in subject matter and in scripture is not, it's not up for debate whether you like it or not. It is not a pastor's preference. This was not an apostle's preference. There were times where Paul spoke and he said, this I speak by permission. This is not one of those times. He is speaking under the God-inspired layer. And that is God breathing on his men. And they wrote, they gave the word of God as they were inspired and anointed. This is not Paul speaking as one having obtained mercy from God, as I am quoting in that other occasion saying, I speak by permission. This is not Paul's thoughts of, him, of his own. This is, God's, this is God's ordinances that is mentioned early in Scripture. There are four movements, basically, depending on how you count them or how you divide them or group them. From verses 1 through verse 16, you have, I call it, four movements that Paul introduces concerning Man and woman and the way they appear before God. It makes a difference. It matters how we appear in the presence of God. Praying and prophesying. Does that mean that that is only during spaces of, of special prayer or special spaces of prophesying? Does not the scripture say that we are to pray without ceasing? And so it is a constant, it is a ongoing, an ongoing and something that has durativeness in it. As we serve God and we are vessels of prayer and service, our appearance, according to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, does matter. 
it is, it is, if you will, a placing of man and woman in a, their proper order before God so that their relationship with God can be blessed and honorable, not dishonorable. It is not up to our whim and to our fancy and our idea how we would present ourselves before God as vessels and uh, bodies of sacrifice, if you will. We present our bodies as living sacrifice. How do we present ourselves, as was mentioned, is what this is all about. And so, let's begin, if you will. Divine order. Paul starts off saying, in the very first verse, speaking to the Corinthian church, he says, Be ye followers, and that word is mimetai, which is the, from which we get the word to mimic or imitate. You, if you will, Corinthian church, imitate or mimic followers of me, even as I am of Christ, which is Messiah. Not everyone choosing their own path. There is a head of all of this. There is an order to this. We're not just all out wandering around calling ourselves apostolic and Pentecostal and Christians, if you will, and doing our own thing. There is, a, there is an expected order that the Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthian church and says, follow me, imitate me, mimic me, even as I am a follower or I am imitating Christ. And then he goes into the subject matter. He says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and hold fast. You remember as I read the text to you. And that word is, uh, is giving the connotation of you hold it down so that it does not move. Hold it fast. It's not something that can be transferred and picked up here and moved over here wherever it is convenient, but you hold it down. What? The ordinances, and that word paradosis is traditions. I'm using tonight, for those of you who are not familiar with the Greek text, I'm using uh, those words from the Greek text from which the KJV was translated. And as we know, the King James Version didn't just drop down out of heaven into our hands. But thank God for the preservation of the Word of God. Yeah. Amen. If you ever considered it, it is truly a miracle that God authored His Word in a language that was not perfect, but it was in, in, in so many cases so exacting. And God said what He meant, and He meant what He said, it was in a language that was called the common language of the people in that first century. And it was preserved and has been preserved, if you will, unto this day. So you, hearing these words maybe that you're not familiar with, I'm simply giving you the root and the 
the founding word that is in the original manuscripts from which our King James Version has been translated. And the closer you get back to the way the apostles spoke it, the Koine Greek, the closer you get to the original meaning of the word. As you know, when you go through languages, sometimes things, not sometimes, many times things can be lost when you're trying to translate one word into another language. Sometimes it takes a whole phrase to translate one word or vice versa. And so Paul is saying, hold fast the traditions that I handed to you. More than one time in the New Testament, you have the word tradition. And it is an important word. There are traditions of men, and then there are traditions of God. Notice the difference. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, you have got Jesus addressing the scribes and the Pharisees and he uses this word traditions, but it is the traditions of men. For people who say, those of you that want to live, and you can either use the word fundamentalism or you can use the word, they would like to sling the word legalism, and you would like to equate that with Phariseeism, wanting to live the exact word of God and to keep the word of God Wanting to label it as Pharisee. Make sure that you know what Phariseeism is. Everything that the Pharisees did was not wrong. In one occasion, Jesus said, Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Not everything that they did was wrong. Having his head covered. In the Greek, it is katakephales, meaning anything down his head. If I would just say it in real, <clears throat> raw, and literal words, kata has an overall <clears throat> understanding of something being down. A man praying or prophesying with anything down his head. And what is the subject? The context demands what the subject must be. The subject is not a veil. The subject is hair, as it is given not just in verse 14, but it is given all throughout verses 4 through 16. You have got the subject of hair, and we'll get into that. If any man praying or prophesying has anything down his head, meaning long hair, as it finally says, oh my goodness, how exact. This is, I've read, I've read articles, I've listened to preachers talk, and they say, you know, there's a lot of ambiguities in chapter 11. No, there is not. When you take how it is written and how the Apostle Paul instructed that church who was a fledgling group, they were just starting up. They needed instruction. And Paul gave the right instruction as a pastor at the right time. God breathed this. And it was not just for a local church. Here's the second buzzword. It was not just a cultural thing because it is divine order. And second of all, it's not a local issue. Not a local issue. 
Because by the time you get down to verse 16, the word churches, plural, ecclesia is given. Not just, one, not just a local Corinthian problem, but it addresses all of the churches with an S. All of them. So, please throw out those two buzzwords and, and keep it as straight and, if you will, applicable as the Word of God is to be. If any man prays or prophesies with anything down his head, he dishonors his head. He dishonors his head. Karaskune. And what does that mean, dishonor? How big of a dishonor is it? Karaskune. If you were to, if you were to take that word and look up uh, the definition in a, a Greek lexicon, uh, Art and Gingrich uh, is, of, of course, uh, one of the foremost reliable sources of uh, lexicographers. If you were to look up the definition and the usage in that first century of that word, you will find that is dishonors or shames or disfigures. And oh, how much strength. Any man that has anything down his head, which in this case is the matter of hair. It's the presentation of whether a man is to have long hair or short hair. Whether a woman is to have cut, shaved, or uncut hair. This is the issue of chapter 11. If a man prays or prophesies with anything down his head, meaning hair, long hair, come, he dishonors his head, which is Christ, which is God. You are not just dishonoring, you're not just shaming, but the word also means disfigures. There is one thing we cannot do as an apostolic group, and that is distort and disfigure the God that has created all of us, the God who has become our salvation, to present Him to this world as a disfigurement. Paul is denouncing right here. It is not a preference. Let me tell you, I am hearing that word more and more used in 2019. I don't care what megachurch preacher is using it. I don't care how big the crowd is. There are some things, if you will, scriptural traditions, ordinances, they are not preferences they matter and I'll describe and give definition as to their salvific level how much does it matter is it a salvational issue by the time we get through in just a little while I trust that you will fully understand that it's not just well it gets me closer to God or it gets me more favor. It is a salvation issue. Whether or not I present him as the way he asked to be presented, or I present him in a distorted, disfigured, God does not want to be disfigured in worship. All right. 
Every man who prays with anything down his head dishonors, shames, disgraces, disfigures his head. But, this is verse 5, but every woman, and this does give, this does give light that there is occasion for the female to have a place in praying, prophesying, Paul is the one who gave us the distinction between a woman not to usurp authority over men and to not be in the place of authoritarian last say. Her place is to remain throughout Scripture. But it does not negate that the woman does have that blessed opportunity before God like everyone should have, and that is to pray publicly and be able to prophesy as the Spirit of God comes on her, and it should be done decently and according to the order of Corinthians 11. And I'll give the, I'll give the essence of the strength of how that must really be here in just a moment. But any woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, for people to say veiled, you're saying more than the scripture. The subject is not a veil. Because by the time we get down to about verse 14, 15, Paul addresses that. He said a woman's hair is given to her, and the word is anti, which means instead of a veil. The subject is not whether she is veiled or not. The subject is whether or not she has hair that is enough and correctly presented that it is a covering. A woman, a, a man, that's just opposite, is to pray with his head uncovered. But a woman, just the opposite, is to pray or prophesy with her head covered. And the subject is hair, not a veil. Because that is truly delineated, delineated in future verses. For her hair is given to her ante instead of a veil. All right? Verse 5. Look very carefully. But every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Who is the head of the woman? Remember the order of creation. The head of the woman is the man whose head is Christ, whose head is God. When a woman dishonors her head, she is ultimately, we're talking about the chain, we're talking about the order that God has established here. You're talking about ultimately dishonoring and disgracing and disfiguring not just her immediate head, which is man. But ultimately her head is the almighty God. And she presents a shameful, disfigured Christ. And there's a big subject in that. He's already been humiliated enough at Calvary. That's just a little preaching ground that uh, you might want to just underline and, and consider on your own. He's already been made a spectacle to be humiliated once and for all at Calvary. Let's not, world, 
Let's not church world. Let's not Instagram. Let's not Facebook. Let's not out there in the media world. Let's not keep presenting him in a humiliated fashion. I hope that that is uh, appreciated by, by this that uh, we are a part of this evening. If it is a little bit too much confrontational, then so be it. We're talking about our Lord, God who loved us. Amen. This is not all about me. This is not all about you. It's all about Him. Come on, let's stop making church and worship and and everything. It's not all about me. I'm the benefactor, but it's not all about me. It's all about Him. And so it must be right. You'll have to pardon me every now and then I I, I get just a little uh, urge to preach in in between. And so I... Every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Her immediate head is man. Kephale, we're talking about the necessity of her physical head being in the right presentation to give her head, which is the chain of authority, the order of authority, her head, honor. And so I know that you understand it. The next statement here is very strong, very strong. It's a little bit difficult to translate, but it's very strong. Let me give you how it translates in the original, as the apostle spoke it. For it is one and the same. For her to be, for her to be sheared or shorn, it's one and the same as if she would be shaven. How, how drastic is it in the eyes of God for a woman to have shorn hair, cut hair? And I'll discuss what is cut and what is, what, what distinguishes that. How, how strong it is, is it in the eyes of God? The apostle Paul said, it's one and the same if a woman cuts her hair or if her head is shaven which was the ultimate shame according to the voice of the apostle in this verse. Verse 5, for that it is all even one and the same as if she were shaven. Verse 6, for if a woman be not covered, and we're talking about uncut hair, let her also be shorn. If it's not properly presented before God, then it's all in the same as if it were just Totally shaven. There are two words that are employed in this verse. Carol, which is cut or to shear. And suaro, which is to be slick or to be shaven. Which was the ultimate shame. And I'll not, I don't have time to go into the background even in the Old Testament of what that uh, was uh, given strength. Uh, or what strength was applied to it by that word. It's one and the same. Let me, just, let me just say it here. People say we don't, we don't cut our hair. Nowadays we just trim our hair. Let me just give you a very, let me just give you a very easy illustration for you to, uh, for you to be able to gauge that by. 
Come on, if we're going to use words, you're going to use semantics and try to make yourself a convenient bypass. Come on, what is, what is, what is traditions of man? <laughs> Making loopholes around God's ordinance. All right, you're going to use semantics. I ask, is there anybody here that could take this piece of paper? It's got words of a song on it. Somebody take this piece of paper and come up with a pair of scissors. Don't cut it, just trim it. Can you trim this without cutting it? If you want to get it down to to word employments, what you are trying to do is make a convenient bypass for yourself to present yourself in relationship before God the way you want to. And Paul has said it so strong and he has said it in a number of ways that it cannot be mistaken. Two words are employed when it comes to a woman's presentation of her hair before God. Kero, which is to cut. Xwaru, which is to shave. And to cut it, it's all one and the same as if it were shaven. What is the remedy? The next phrase gives the remedy. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, here's the remedy. Let her be covered. Everybody say praise the Lord. For a man ought not, this is verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and that is reflection, icon, for he is the image, for he is the image and glory, doxa. He is the image and the glory of God. That is the second movement. I call it in this chapter 11 issue. The first is God's order. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. God is the head of Christ. The man Christ Jesus, as I said, was always in submission unto his father. Was he not? Hebrew says that in the days of his flesh, he learned obedience by those things which he suffered. Christ was absolutely our example in every way. When Jesus went down into the river Jordan to be baptized of John, It was not because he needed forgiveness of sin. Because Jesus was the sinless man. He was the only pure. When the the church family in the book of Acts called him the holy child Jesus. There was a reason why they called him a holy child. We pray to the holy child Jesus because on Calvary in adult form. He was pure and absolutely sinless and absolutely innocent when he walked down the riverbank into Jordan's River and he was baptized by John. It was not that he needed baptism for himself, but Christ was our example. He allowed himself as the flesh the very visible portion of the invisible God. And when I use the word portion, it is in spatial sense only. 
Because all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. So I'm covering all the bases here. When he walked down into the river Jordan, he was our example. If he suffered those things as a man, then who are we under his headship? Christ is our head. Who are we to divorce ourselves from the obligation and the duty of being in submission to him? If he submitted himself as the flesh to the spirit, then we must submit ourselves to our head, which is Christ. It is a matter of submission. When you get out of order, let me preach it for a minute, Pastor. When you get out of order, you disfigure your head. You bring disgrace and you bring shame upon your head. God never intended for there to be chaos in the home. Let me tell you in 2019 with all of the domestic violence and all of the perversion that is in the world and that means twistedness. What you have got is you have got man and woman and their God out of their order. You're getting everything out of order and it produces confusion. It produces violence. It produces angers. It produces all the things that scripture is against. God never intended any of that. Man was created first. Woman was not created first. Man was. And he was created, Genesis says, in the demut, in the image of God. Now let us make man in our likeness, in our image. I'll not discuss who he was talking to at that moment. You might just want to pick up a commentary out there. He'll explain that. I'll not take the time to do that. Who was he talking about? In our image, in our image, at that point in Genesis, God was a spirit. There was no bodily form. What was he talking about? Man was created. Adam was created. Adam, which means ground, because he was created from the Adam, from, from, the, from the ground. He created man, Adam, on the form of of him who was to come. Does not your scripture say that? Adam was formed as the one who was to come. In the image of him who was to come. So when God said let us make man in our own likeness. In our own image. He himself was going to walk among mankind. And so he fashioned Adam on the form of what Jesus Christ was going to look like. First century. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, let us make man in our own image. When it talks about that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature, that is to rank. That is to his rank of, rank of being premier. The firstborn. 
For those of you who are wondering, how do you, how do you put that together? Christ, who is the firstborn of every creature, when he did not appear in flesh until first century, he is first in rank. Every man, Adam, first of all, was fashioned on the form and made on the form of this who was to come, Jesus Christ, who is our head. And if our head subjected himself, submission, that is one thing that the world is not used to nowadays, submission. Ah, we all want to worship. We all want to call it worship. Millions of dollars are spent on what the world calls worship. But is there any submission? Is there any subjection to your head while you are praying or prophesying? Man, that is Christ. Woman, that is to the man. And you're to look different in your presentation because of submission. When a woman does not submit to her head, if there is not proper submission, then it's a dishonor to God. It disfigures the ultimate head, which is God. It does matter, friend. I'm using a lot of recapping statements to make sure that everybody's catching it here. It does matter. It is not a preference. It is a divine ordinance. If there's anybody that ought to be the very leaders of it, it is the apostolic church that never gives up on saying, hey, we want to worship God, but we want to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. When Jesus said real worship is in spirit and in truth, everybody wants to be in the spirit thing, but how much truth do they want to have involved? Truth has submission in it. If you're not in submission, as the scripture says, then it's not truth. And it's not worship. It's something else. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for the woman to be shorn or shaven, and that is one and the same, kero or to be cut or to be shaved, it's one and the same. If that's a shame, then the remedy is let her be covered. And here is, as I said, the second, and I won't spend a great deal of time here, for the man indeed ought not cover his head because he is a reflection. He is, he is in the image of his head. We were made on the form of him who was to come. And so when we stand praying and prophesying and, and, and preaching and presenting this wonderful God, I've got to be a reflection of him. To be in submission enough that I am in reflection of him. And a woman, the very same thing. She is to bring glory, if you will, to her head, which is in the immediate, the counterpart of creation, the man, and ultimately God. It's a matter of reflection and a matter of doxa, which is glory. If we're not bringing glory to God, then what are we doing? If we're not bringing glory, oh, we stand and call his name. 
Oh, we want to sing the songs that has the, the, the name Jehovah in it. Jehovah. Ah. And we want to sing and we want to keep the name of Jesus in our songs. And praise God we do. But is it possible that we could be so chaotic that we'd be writing songs with the most sacred name? Jehovah who became Jesus. And while we're singing it, dishonoring him at the same time. Let me tell you, there is no blindness. If you want to jot down little phrases, there is no blindness nor ignorance in omniscience. You can try to rearrange and mask it all you want, but God knows when you are trying to present Him in prayer and in prophesying, He knows whether or not you are honoring him or whether you are disfiguring him. God knows whether we're reflecting him or not. You say, I'll just sort of mask it where nobody will know and I'll get up on the platform and I'll get up in the Sunday school class and I'll go and do my thing. There is no blindness nor ignorance in deity. He knows. Open, standing, transparent. Hey, you're not going to fool God. You're not going to fool God. And so that's the second movement. Bringing glory and reflection, which is submission to our head. And here is, here is the order stated again in a very, in a very plain way. Verse 8. For the man is not, and the word there, ek. For the man, is, which means out of. For the man is not out of the woman. Come on, read Genesis again. Who was created first? Instead of me going through the beautiful creation story, and it's a wonderful story when you get down to the original Hebrew words. For the man is not out of the woman, but the woman is out of the man. God knew which order he presented them in, in creation. He knows which one he made first. And so when you get up to worship him, don't get it out of order. He was the one that made us. He created man first, and then out of the man came the woman. So it is man that was created first. Man is to be a submission to his head, which is Christ. And the woman is to be in submission to her head. That is against everything that you'll pick up in Google. Nowadays, idealisms. But hey, does it not say it in Ephesians? Did not Paul say it in Ephesians? Just like he said it in Corinthians? Did not he say it in the epistle to the young preacher Timothy? In the very same way he said it in Corinthians and Ephesians? Did not Peter say it the same way that Paul said it in all of these occasions that I just quoted? Using the word submission and subjection. Saying, and this is the will of God. Out of most marital vows in 2019, you will find the words and obey. 
as the woman speaks her vows and the marriage ceremony, that is deleted from most. Not mine. I didn't say it was deleted from mine. But in most vows that are recited, people don't want, what you don't understand that being in submission is not degradation. But it is being in the place, the honorable place, the privileged place of being able to bring glory to the one that has loved you. For the woman to have been created after Adam does not give her a degraded place. No, it's just the opposite. As the Jewish sages teach, woman is created last which is the apex, the finest portion from the touch of God. The last was the very best, is how they preach it. Preach it. They preach it. It Submission is not degradation. But even as Ephesians, when Paul wrote it and said that, that we are to be as the church in submission to our head, which is Christ. The woman is to be in submission to the husband. This is the will of God. Is the church degraded? Answer it. Is the church degraded in Ephesians where Paul wrote it? I just quoted it. Is the church in a place of degradation because we're in submission to Christ? Then neither is the woman in degradation being in submission to her head, which is man. Divine order is, Paul said, because woman came ek out of man. Man did not come ek out of woman at the very beginning. He keeps coming back to divine order. It is the basis for it all. Head, kephale, authority. It is a matter of authority. The presentation of our hair is a matter of a presentation of honoring our head, our authority. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, that's not up for debate. Pastor, there are some things I pray that we never have panel discussion about. Is it still current? Is it still relevant? Is it still needed as long as the church is on this, church, this earth? We must stay in submission to Christ our head. And thus the man and the woman keeps their order. Oh my goodness. Verse 8, for the man is not ek out of the woman. But the woman is ex out of the man. Ek out of the man. Verse 9, here is just another facet of the very same thing. Verse 9, for neither was the woman, neither was the man. Adam was not created for the woman. The woman was, and here's the Hebrew word. Some years ago, translating, uh, getting ready for the commentary that's out there. The word is connecto, which is corresponding. The woman became the corresponding part to Adam. Ah. God saw that he needed a help meet. That is an English word. Two words, help meet. It took two words to do what Hebrew 
does in one. God saw that he needed a connector. He needed a corresponding one. Thus, the woman came from the side. The woman was created for the man, not vice versa. Verse 10 is the third movement. I'm conscious of time. I'm getting there. I promise I won't spend as much time on third movement as I did the first two. You know, you've got to get this train rolling. It takes a lot of energy. You get, you get rocket off the ground. After you get it up in the air, it don't take it. The third movement is because of the angels. For this cause. For this cause. Ought. The word ought. And instead of taking time to give you the background of the Greek word, it is not just you should do this. But the ought is very binding, corresponding even with its place of etymology in the Hebrew where it is coming from the strength of an oath. For this cause, it ought to happen. It must happen. Why? Because of the angels. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. And that word is exousian. Exousian. Which is authority. Here we are talking about authority again. She ought to have authority on her head because of the angels. And that's all he says about it. So you say, what does that mean? For this cause. Because she is to reflect God who is the creator. Angels were present at creation. They did not participate in creation. But they were present in creation. Apostolic preachers were not the first to start preaching this. That has been the doctrine of the old Jewish fathers from as far back as you can go. There was no question. Who is the us? The Jewish fathers will tell you without, without hesitating. Angels were present at creation. They did not participate. There is only one father of all. One creator. But they were present. And they saw which one was created first. Angels are impressionable. Angels know what it is to be veiled or to be covered. Read about the seraphim in the Old Testament. The word We have equivalents for the word uh, cherubim. We have equivalent in, in the Old Testament for that. And these were angelic creations that uh, they knew what honor was in the presence of their creator. And with twain, it is said of one creator, they covered their face. They know what honor is of their creator. Angels are impressionable. Angels can fall, as you know. But angels are not redeemed. There is no repentance. How much does God love creation of man? How much does God love his creation of his angelic beings? When Satan, when Satan fell to that first sin of pride and evil enveloped, and according to the book of Revelations, that dragon drew one third of the stars with him and read about who the morning stars are in the Old Testament. Did it hurt the heart of the Creator for one of His angels to depart from Him, lose their first estate, and become forever lost? 
Why should a woman present her worship with long, uncut hair? Because of angels, Paul said. They're impressionable. They can fall. And they can't repent. And obviously, it matters to God. Because they're His creation too. All right? So a woman is to have authority on her head. Hair is a symbol to the angels who are watching. Angels are with us. They are ministering spirits. Boy, I'd like to spend a long time. Oh, you can preach about angels. I believe in angels. I believe they're in the house now. I believe they go home with you. I believe that they're with you. When I present a child before God and call it dedication, I I remind the parents and I remind the Sunday school teachers, don't you hurt this little one because each one of them, I I have scripture that every child has at least one angel. You say you have scripture? Yes, because their angel does always behold the face of God. Angels matter. Angels are the ministering spirits. And when we get ourselves out of the place of submission and out of our divine order, we mess up some angels. They're impressionable. And obviously God says angels matter. You can can repent, but they don't repent. Let's go on. Boy, I'd love to stay there. And so it continues on that nevertheless, neither is the man anything without the woman, neither is the woman anything without the man. For the woman is out of the man. Eve came from Adam. Even so is the man also by the woman. What does that mean? That means in this verse that woman first of all came out of man. But after Adam and Eve, from that point on, every man came through. The word is dia, came through the woman after that. But the order is still established from the very beginning. But all things are of God. Judge in yourselves, verse 13. Crino, judge. And I'll just simply give it the short here. Is it comely, prepon, the matter of propriety? Is it proper? Paul speaks to the Corinthian church and says, Crino, judge it yourselves. After I've gone through this much ammunition, Paul says, of this much verbiage and giving you this much truth, you have heard enough by this verse, verse 13, judging yourself, is it prepon? Is it fitting? Is it proper that a woman pray unto God uncovered? And what is that covering? Hair. Verse 14. Doth not even nature. The fourth movement is nature. Doth not even nature. The the word in Greek is phusis. What is nature? It's the impression of God upon his creation. Thus the migratory trek of the birds this time of year. Thus the upward trek up the stream of the salmon at a particular time of year. Is it getting too late for you? 
I'll be through in just a second. Some of you, you give a preacher a certain amount of time and then, then they're out of time. Am I out of your time? Verse 14, doth not nature teach you? Fusis, the impression of God upon his creation that is just in them. Does not nature teach you that if a man have come, which is long hair, it is a shame unto him? Yeah, even by nature. Even by nature. But verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it's a glory. What is long hair? Come on. Throw, throw your Pharisaic effort away. What is long hair? It's already been discussed for the previous 13 verses. If you cut it, which is one in the, sh- one in the same as if you shave it, it's the ultimate shame before God. Uncut hair. If a woman have... If a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her, and here it is perfect. Anti, her hair is given to her instead of a covering, a veil. For those of you that want the second covering, and they've got those all over, wear as many as you want, but make sure underneath all of it your hair is uncut. The second covering, the third covering, if that's your doctrine, pile it up as much as you want, but don't underneath all of it have cut, trimmed, or shaved head. Or it disfigures your God. Ultimately, your head. All right. But if any man seem to be, look at verse 16, and we're finishing here. This is the last verse. If anyone thinks contentious but if any man seems to be contentious philonikos philonikos which is to be lover of strife lover like the word Philadelphia brethren of love philonikos if you love strife if we have any lovers of strife in the congregation or in the conference hall, or at the summit, or wherever we, if we have any lovers of strife. Paul said, we have no such, and it's the same grouping of word. We have no custom for that. We have no custom. Here is something that I will end with. I back up for an ending. Verse 14, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, coma, it is, a, it is a shame. The word is atemia, atemia. How bad of a shame is it? Is it a sin? Let's answer that. Your pastor preaches that it's a sin. I know he preaches that because that's the apostolic doctrine. What kind of a shame is it? For just call it a trite shame. You're being dishonest with the word and you're insulting the word. 
What is the Greek word that is used there? How, how deep of a shame is it? Is it sin or not? For a man to have long hair and for a woman to have not a proper covering. How much of a shame is it? Here is the word that is employed here. Atemia. It's the same word that is the same word that is employed at the end of Romans 1, verse 26. Where women give themselves over, the KJV says, to vile affection or vile, vile passion. Whatever you believe about Romans 1 and 26, of man turning man to man in an ungodly pursuit, and a woman turning to a woman in an ungodly pursuit, without saying, you know what I'm saying. They give themselves over, and this is the same word employed, atemia. Is it a sin in Romans 1? It's the same word here in Corinthians 11. It's a shame. How much of a shame is it? It's the same word given in vile passions. And that is set up for judgment is what that is. You know, Pastor, there was a, there was a comedian or so-called comedian. I don't call her a comedian who tried to make light of this scripture, this verse, and said, a shame, a shame, having long hair, a shame. He said, it's a shame we don't have enough air conditioning in this house tonight. No, sir. That's not the same kind of shame. No, no, no. If any man be a felonikos, a lover of strife, we have no such tradition. You and your Phariseistic way, you have devised a path and a routine for you to say, I disagree. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to have my own group of disciples and we're going to do it like we want. Paul said, we have no such traditions. There is only God-given traditions. We have no, we no, we have no tradition of this. Neither, not just Corinth, churches, neither the churches. We all operate on the same page that if God said it, I believe it, it's truth, case closed. Amen? If you believe what I preach this evening, if you believe the word of God as literal as it should be taken and literal it must be taken, stand to your feet. Somebody in your own signature way, before we do anything else, would you give praise unto God for His unadulterated Word? Amen, 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 amen. Woo. Come on, men. Come on, women. If we're going to be vessels of worship, let's be in submission unto God 100%. Let's do it right. The external does matter, according to Corinthians 11. Thank you, Jesus, for preserving this truth for me, that I not lead or be led into a judged position and lost forever.
Oh, I love you, Lord. I truly love you. Ah. You know what? The way we present this makes all the difference in the world. I'm not, I'm not up here with a clenched fist saying, with all absence of love.